Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, in the words of Bridget Jones, bugger off! Hi guys, uh, so I'm going to be telling my story first. This is Lucy, and um, <laughs> it's not my murder. Like, I'm, I'm going to yeah. tell my personal Please. story. Um, so I'm going to tell you about the murder of Kirsty Grabham. So, Kirsty Wilkinson was born in 1984, and she had two older sisters, and she was very close to her mother. Now, when she was 14, the family moved to Bridgend in Wales, and, um, <laughs> not the best. Did, wasn't there a Welsh, obviously, you, you are quite good at a Welsh accent, because of family, but wasn't there a while ago you said something awkward about Welsh people? What was it, your Welsh stereotype? Um, I'm sure you said it on the podcast, like, Welsh people are something. Inbred. I didn't think that's what you said, but fair enough. <laughs> we'll take it. Which I'm when everyone used to say Welsh people were sheep shaggers. Yeah, but they also say that about people in Derby, people in Norfolk. Yeah, Bristol. I think is what it? it makes me think is that everyone wants to shag sheep and they're just projecting <laughs> it onto nearby towns. It's very Freudian of you. Um, Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, yes, they, they moved to Wales um, and. Um, Kirsty very much idolised the supermodel Jordan, which I think when I was growing up, she was... The artist formerly known as Jordan. Yeah, Katie Price now, isn't she? But she was um, very much in the media. Yeah, because she dated Gareth Gates. And at the time, everyone was like, is that abuse? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It definitely seemed like some sort of child abuse was happening. And then she married Peter Andre, and then they broke up. But I feel like when I was like young teenager, um, she was like the supermodel that people knew with a massive yeah. beard. When she first came out, no one was taking the piss out of her. Everyone was like, she's the ultimate woman. Yeah, and then like, oh, what was it? Um... Jodie Marsh. Marsh came out like, then she's like she was like I'm the, the real girl my tits are real she's she was like, like the Trumpy Jordan we were like we didn't know that was gonna be a thing but she managed it like, yeah oh my god um, if you don't know who these people are if you're in um, another culture uh, have a look at Jordan and have a look at Jodie Marsh and uh, tell us what you think but fair play to them They've had very lucrative careers. Um, she wanted to follow in Jordan's footsteps. So she was very naturally pretty. And she did kind of like this supermodel glam look as well. Um, and very much noticed by men. And she kind of knew um, that she'd probably do quite well. 
So, uh, age 20, so she like she spent her teenage years kind of trying to move into the world of glamour model. Um, age 23, she meets Paul Grabham at a party and they have a one night stand. Um, but there's a different account. One account was that she met Amelia and then at the one night stand, they realized that they'd already met before. And then the other one was that they had a one night stand, but then they met again later. I'm not sure which is the case, but this second time they met, um, they were absolutely infatuated with each other and very, very quickly inseparable. Now he'd not been a very good student at school. He got in trouble a lot. Um, he'd been a bit of a strange boy. Um, he had, um, with his friends, um, on the documentary that I watched, which was on YouTube, which is called The Murder of, Ker- of Kirsty Grabbin, um, he had this neighbour who was talking about how um, him and his friends had been out on the road and they basically chased her car in their car. Like that, exactly like that scene from The Inbetweeners where they're like, follow the muff wagon. <laughs> and yeah. they're just like, what's the best case scenario that's going to happen here? You just... You chase after them and then what? Yeah. But we've all done it. Like a little bit of motorway flirting. <laughs> well, I th- she wasn't a looker. I'm not sure if like times had changed. Yeah, but, but it depends where you're older. driving from. All you can see is like, you look at the profile, back of the head. You're like, there's a woman in that car. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Go, chase it down. <laughs> chase it. So uh, she ended up driving into a brick wall and she was really freaked out. And oh she God, actually, that's uh, actually quite bad. She, she actually moved out of the area and um, she just did not like this guy well it is a bad thing to do chase a woman down with your car because yeah, yeah. they're either gonna crash into a brick wall or drive away faster than you can in which you've wasted a lot of petrol true or i don't know ram you to make it stop i don't see how it could end well just park up at traffic lights and both be like look fuck the traffic let's swap numbers now <laughs> Kirsty's family uh didn't didn't see what she saw in Paul. So obviously they met. They were really um, serious really quickly. And so they met him. He was a chef. Which which helps. Which Yeah. And a plumber. So <gasps> I mean, I can see the uses here. Yeah. Um, but he also had like really weird little other jobs. He always looked really scruffy. And he also worked as a male stripper. Yeah. He's either going to be really good at all these three things or really terrible. Like spreading himself Jack of too all thing. trades. Um. And he'd also be really braggy. He'd like make up things about how much money he had to impress others. And they just weren't impressed with him. They thought it was awful. Oh, so it sounds like he is shit at all the jobs then. I think so. And he like, he had that like blonde highlights and like the tan and like just super yeah. fake looking. Um, so those little beaded necklaces. Yes. <laughs> um, so then they tried. So Kirsty says oh, she's going to marry him. And they try and put her up. They say, wait. Um, but she wants like the big dramatic wedding. Uh, I think Jordan had like the, was it that the horse and car? Yeah, she had the Cinderella pumpkin carriage. Yeah. And this is what Kirsty wanted. She just wanted to be having this beautiful wedding. So after five weeks after they began dating, they actually got engaged. Five weeks? Five weeks. Um, and then, so they um, they got married. She had like the pink limo, the tiara, um, and like, there's wedding videos on this documentary. And he like didn't even have a tie on. His shirt's like open at the top. He looks like a naughty boy on the way home from school. Uh... Like just not cute. Baggy shirt. Doesn't really fit him properly. Um, so he looked like a... Year 11 prom then. Yeah. Um, so quickly into the marriage, 
Paul begins to become quite controlling of her. So he had access to her money and he begins to introduce drugs to the household. And she kept a diary and she kept quite a good log, actually, of all the things that he was doing. She's pretty honest in this diary. Um, and it, it in at first when she meets him, she writes about how it's her and Paul against the world. But she does start to kind of write in there about, you know, I wish he wouldn't control me. I wish he wouldn't make me do the things that he's making me do. And both of the couple were working in the sex industry as escorts. So she was, I think she was actually working at a brothel. And he was advertising himself online. But she was also, I think they had a website where they advertised themselves online as well, together or apart. I mean, imagine... Being the third wheel in a husband-wife sexathon. No, it's not like you. bickering over the dishes halfway through. No, I paid for you. this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, Paul, so she didn't like working at this brothel. And that's actually apparent, like some sources say that she met Paul at the brothel earlier and he'd hired her and then they had this one night stand later on. So um, she didn't tell her family she was working at a brothel. She told them that she was a glamour model, but she was having sex with other people. And she kind of liked that he accepted that because she thought there's not many men who were going to be on board for this lifestyle. And she wanted to go more into like glamour modeling, but she was saving money. Um, but That's the sort of thing that keeps people though, isn't it? It's I know it's like saying... I don't know, like he accepts my lifestyle, but it's a little bit of low self-esteem. Like who else would want, mm. who else would take me on? And that's how they keep you because they say no one else would have you. Like what mm. are you going to do without me? Absolutely. And she she didn't really want to be doing it. So she, um, she thought he was a way out when she married him. She thought this is my way out of this lifestyle. He accepts me, but he helped me move away from this. But actually he was pressuring her to work a lot more so he could get the money and spend the money and he had access to her bank accounts so i mean this is an abusive relationship he is very much controlling her abusing her so she writes about this in her diaries questioning like why does he actually want me to have sex with other men Uh, wouldn't he you know want me to just be his and she wanted to stop and she wanted to have a child so just months after they were married kirsty tells her sister that paul started to be violent towards her and they looked they talked to a psychologist actually on this um documentary and this psychologist said that it it's very unlikely that she spoke out the first time he was violent it's probably that this was just the first time she was actually that scared enough to tell someone because she was in fear of her life so probably there was some small violence up until this point but at this point he'd actually choked her and she thought she was gonna die so i think that's when she got to the point where she thought i've got to tell someone um have you watched big little lies no, I haven't. It's really good and it's um it's really well portrayed domestic violence. Oh, um, I did not think you were going there. <laughs> no, no, there's a lot of domestic violence in it. And Nicole Kidman is um the woman who's in a violent relationship and she she does it really well and it does really show kind of the the complexities of the relationship, the idea that she thinks it's okay if it's not affecting the children, but also there's an interesting psychologist um, character in there who is really blunt about it. And I I just liked this character. And she was like, you've got to tell your friends because if it comes to court and they say, why didn't you tell anyone? They'll they'll start saying that it's never happened to you. You've got to speak out about it. And I've never thought about it like that before. And I think it's good that she told her sister because then you've got someone else to say, 
I knew it was violent. Someone told me. Yeah, or at least to give some sort of time frame as how long it's been happening. Is that yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like a witness on your side. So, um, and she also wrote about it in the diary. So Happy people don't keep diaries, do they? No. I'm sure that's a line from Adrian Mole, but <laughs> it is true. Oh, yeah. I never thought of that. Like, my life was wonderful today. Like, name, like, Anne Frank? Nope. Who no. else is a famous diarist? Samuel Pepys? Mm, he was too much of a nerd. Nope. No, I've not read Pepys. Diary of a Nobody? Nope. He wasn't happy. So Kirsty's sister tells their mother and the mother pleads with her to leave him. But um, I think she sort of does and then it's off and on again. Another thing that they thought was weird was um, Paul had this weird collection of dolls as well that he kept in the loft. And it was like these, they're like adult dolls. Sex dolls? They're not like, they're not like adult dolls adult life-size sex dolls but they're like little plastic figures or like funko pops like little dolls in like coffins and they're like look all gothic oh shit i know the ones and there's one that's like being strangled and one with a gun and like yes wait on the like dead dolls yeah that kind of thing which is funny because um luke's sister who's got learning difficulties she bought um her nephew um one of these dolls it's like a really scary chucky doll but i think she just thought she was buying him a nice doll and it really scared the shit out of him for ages it's oh <laughs> so awkward we're like shall we take this away now um so anyway kirsty asked paul to stop with the violence the drugs and she said i want to start a family you need to you know clear your life out we need to get back to where we should be on track um but to family she says i'm thinking of ending the relationship and uh, he was giving her sort of rules as well about um her sexual encounters as part of her job and he he wouldn't follow the same rules he was meeting up with women outside of of like the time that he was being hired by them and she saw that as cheating as well so it was just getting more and more dangerous high risk um and just she was really sad she knew it was shit like she knew it wasn't going to go well for her so she makes plans to go to stay with her cousin in Coventry to get away um but she suddenly goes back on these and she stays with Grabham um but days later they go out for drinks and have a row and then Grabham goes home and then she goes back home later and the taxi driver is just the last person to see her at this point it's always the taxi driver who's the last person to see you alive just like that episode of Sherlock where it was the taxi driver who was killing people oh really yeah Uh, so on the Sunday Grabham calls Kirsty's friend Martin who's like a proper Welsh bloke like he's um he's got a great accent he's a bit like a bit older uh you know like if he talks too fast you can't really follow what he's saying um and he and he says me and Kirsty were arguing um, and she's gone. She's taken her clothes. She's moved out. I don't know where she's gone. Have you seen her? And he says, no. He phones Kirstie. And then um, Grabham phones Kirsty's mum as well. She says, have you seen Kirsty?" And she's really suspicious and she tells him to phone the police, which he does. Um, and she also phones the police and she tells them about this violence because she is having none of it. So Kirsty's sister is also suspicious because she goes round to the house and um, she's taken like cash with her but Kirsty's bank card's there and like her hairbrush and she just says there's just no way there's no way that she would have gone without taking these certain things I know Kirsty, and Grabham's 
also reading the text on Kirsty's phone and the family think that she's taken the phone with her. So they're texting her. He's reading everything. Oh. Um, he doesn't reply. He doesn't fake any responses. But they just think she's not responding. So despite Graben's phoning round saying he's concerned, he continues to have these wild parties at his house. Um, like just in the days after Kirsty's disappeared. So he takes drugs. He's using Kirsty's car to pay for sex workers to come round and have sex with him. Uh, he drives her car to visit That's women. That's such a weird thing, do you not think, for a sex worker to pay a sex worker? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Or is it the ideal thing? Because it's like, I understand how your time is valuable. I'd have thought you'd have a lot of sex worker mates and you'd just be like... What, fancy a freebie? Off the clock. I'm not sure how it works. Um, So he drives... There's only one way to find out. (laughs) What, become a sex worker? Both become sex workers. (laughs) So he drives a car to visit women uh, that he'd been speaking to on the internet. And one of the women he contacts is the daughter of the neighbour that he ran off the road all those years ago because she stayed in the area. So then, like, this neighbour's like, I can't believe he contacted my daughter. I hate this bastard. But luckily... The daughter just ignores his messages. But he's like sort of hitting her up. I think he'd been, maybe been at what school with her or hell? something. Because the neighbour's a bit older. That's like, that's really reaching. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, oh, hey, oh, I'm single know, now. Like, yeah, like you go back. We've all done it. Like the drunk to the the last person you slept with sending them a little Well, text. he was sending it to every person in the Going community. Back, don't go back 10 years to some <laughs> woman that you saw on the road one time. Oh, right. That is desperate. <laughs> That's got to be the de- definition of desperation. Yeah. Like, how desperate were you? Well, I rang up a woman I once ran off the road. <laughs> Crazy. Um, so South Wales police investigate Kirsty's disappearance. And Kirsty's friend Martin, uh, he goes round to the house and he notices... Um, the rug is missing out of the living room and part of the ceiling has been repainted and he's like why did you repaint part of the ceiling grab him and he says that he started repainting it but Kirsty made him stop because she didn't like the colour and he's like oh okay then and then um, so it wasn't like just a freshly painted piece like a oh it looks slightly cleaner it was literally a different colour <laughs> yeah right yeah. yeah literally like Maybe like purple. I don't They'll know. They'll never know something's <laughs> going on here. So he goes to the police and tells them that part of the ceiling has been repainted. So the police... There is a crime against interior design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, Grabham's story doesn't hold up because they check the records and they find that Kirsty had tried to call 999 on the night she disappeared. So if she was running away, why would she phone 999? Yeah. She was clearly... It, there was a struggle she was trying to get away so they arrest grab him and he says no comment to everything infuriatingly so eight days after she disappeared Kirsty's body is found and um it's in a really small suitcase that had literally just been flung by the motorway just thrown off like a bridge or into like the woods and some lorry driver had been going past and looked in it which like, i found free suitcase yeah, i found that really weird it's like oh there's a weird old suitcase over there i must take a little Peek, I'm going to stop my lorry and see what's inside. Um, it's probably dogging, wasn't it? Or oh, he was on his way to the Antiques Roadshow and thought, ooh, what a find. <laughs> so she was inside. She'd been battered, squashed into the suitcase, scratched, and her jaw was broken. So clearly had been violently beaten. So in Kirsty's diary, she'd written 10 things that she wanted at her funeral. And she was 24 years old. So she knew 
this yeah. was going to end badly. That's horrendous that Awful. she's thinking about her own mortality. So so they followed all these things at her funeral because she'd sort of planned it then. And one of the things that she wanted her wedding and engagement ring to be removed um, when Fuck. she was buried. Well, that's damning, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So at trial, evidence against Graben piled up her diary, his changing story, the alcohol, the drug use. And after Kirsty had returned from the night out, he'd hit her with a heavy object and beaten her. And neighbours had heard screaming. Um, as if someone was being strangled, which why didn't they call the police? I was gonna say you just think that would have come up yeah. sooner. I think they they were arguing a lot, and I think mm. they just kind of didn't They're get at involved. It again. Yeah. Um, he then put her in a suitcase. At one point, trying to cut her in half, there was a mark across <gasps> her body, but decided against it. And then he dragged it down the stairs, put it in her car in the boot, and driven away and chucked it off the motorway. Blood was found in the mop and bucket as well. So he just, it was clearly grabbing. His defence was that he'd been asleep. I was sleepwalking, basically. No, he'd been in the house. Someone else had killed her, but he'd been asleep <laughs> when she'd been murdered. That's a good like, one. Like, on the sofa. So, I mean, bullshit. So he was found guilty by all the jury. He received a life sentence with a minimum of 19 years. Um, but tragically... Kirsty's sister Haley. So he's still in prison, but Kirsty's sister has really struggled to cope with the murder of Kirsty. And she actually, five years later, she was drinking so excessively that she died of alcoholism. So their mothers lost two children. Um, That's really sad. And she blames Paul Grabham for the death of both. So really sad story. Um, if you're obviously in a in a violent relationship do speak out do get help it's so so important that you act now hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Right, moving swiftly on, we're going to the tale of Stephen Griffiths. 
Now, this is quite a modern one for me. Oh. We're actually going to be going right up to the 2010s. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a departure from my usual form, I would say. And I'm a little bit nervous about it because obviously that is hard. Like when they're modern, there's so much more. There's so much to wade through. So much is available to yeah. you. Because like really random people are still able to come and speak up like random school friends neighbors like everyone can put their opinion out into the world mm. um i was typing the name of the murderer and then read it because that's <laughs> usually a bit of a gold mine because they'd be like i used to go to school with that's always a good one yeah so i've done my best for you um but this is one that's quite interesting and um worth a little look around in your own time okay. later Homework. so Stephen Griffiths, he was born on the 24th of December in 1969, um, but his parents split up quite soon after he was born and he lived with his mother, though his father was still kind of in his life and was supporting him. Um, his parents were able to give him quite a good start in life and they actually saved up and paid to his yearly fees so that they could send him to a private school. And he went there when he was 13. So he's not particularly from a privileged background. Um, him and his mum and his siblings, they lived on a council estate in Wakefield. But he was really intelligent. And I think his family were like, we've got to do something with him because he's so bright. Going to be the teacup poisoner, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> something similar. No. Um, yeah, they just thought he was so bright. They were like, we need to help him realise his potential. So they really, really scrimped and saved to send this quite prestigious grammar school. Um, a neighbour who lived on the estate when Griffiths was a child was quoted by the BBC as saying that, um, quote, he didn't play out and you only saw him at night. Oh. Which is a weird thing oh. to say about a child. About a small child. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then they went on to say that he would, when he was out at night, he'd shoot birds with his air gun. Fucking hell. And then he would really enjoy dissecting them by like ripping them apart. Oh, really gross. Yeah, so, that's not normal. Um, although it's not like, normal, but it's not completely abnormal either. Like boys look like slicing open. Maybe like more dead animals, I guess. Yeah, but it is one of the signs that we're getting to a psychopath. Yeah. Yes. Um. So a fellow pupil at the grammar school he attended, he said that. Stephen Griffiths was just really quiet. He actually described it as being insignificant. Oh. Like, no word. Not a school report. That's really harsh, isn't it? But he was. No just one went like, to collect his school report. Yeah. Is that insignificant? I think it's because, you know, he was a, a little bit. I think there's some snobbery going on because of where he was from. But also, he didn't want to interact with people. He wanted to keep himself to himself. He was never going to be one of the cool kids. He was little and nerdy. And he just preferred to lose himself in fantasy, role playing games, things like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, he also developed a keen interest in weaponry, owning like swords, knives, and he's even said to have brought throwing stars to school <laughs> on occasion. That's not that insignificant. Yeah. You'd think that'd at least get you a nickname. Yeah, you'd think so. I think he's one of the, like, I'm sure we've got listeners who are into this sort of stuff too. And I think as teenagers, we were probably friends with a lot of people that were into this sort of thing. Yeah. He's 100%. like a kind of just alternative kid yeah. but definitely quiet as well mm -hmm. um so but he did take this further his interest in things that were 
like the weapons and stuff and he got involved in criminal behaviors when he was a teenager he started shoplifting and then at 17 um he was caught in the act by a supermarket worker so griffith took out a knife he was carrying and slashed the shop worker across the throat whoa whoa. yeah i think like also shoplifting was he like was he shoplifting on his own as far as you know yeah, I think so. Because that's usually, for teenagers, that's usually like a group thing, isn't it? Exactly. So again, it's more the psychopathic yeah. behaviours we're seeing. Um, so for this attack, he was given three years in a reform institution. Yeah. Um, and he was in regular counselling sessions. And it was here that he explained that he wanted to be a known serial killer. Um, he said he also talked about the fact that he had insects crawling in his brain and that in order to sleep at night he'd have to put cotton wool in his ears to prevent more insects from getting in and he could hear them in there Um, and this was something that girlfriends later would say that he still did as an adult and if he hadn't brought his cotton wool to like his girlfriend's house he'd have to stay up all night like so this was a very clear indicator that he's actually suffering from psychosis. Yeah. Um, he's hearing things and seeing things. But his assessment at the end of his sentence deemed that he wasn't a threat to society and he was released. Even though he said he wanted to be a known serial killer. Yeah. I think they. I think a lot of it was put down to he's a weird teenager. Yeah. And I think that covered it up as a child anyway. I think though, 10, 15 years ago... We were a bit more, yeah, 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 we're teenagers. But now with stuff like sword and scale and kids like shooting their family in the face, I think maybe we do take stuff a bit more seriously. Yeah. Because we're like, yeah, but they're never going to actually murder someone, are they? Yeah. And at this point, it was sort of in the, this would have been in the late 70s, early 80s. And we were starting to get some of these really big serial killers coming out, uh, particularly in America. But, um, they were like grown adults, weren't they? It was filtering through to over here, I think. Yeah. Um, so a year after his release in 1990, Griffiths was arrested again. This time, he'd been in a college library. Um, and he he was like, he always had like really long, when he was younger, he had long black curly hair slicked back. He wore long matrix leather coats. Oh, God, one of those. Sunglasses. Like... <laughs> He was quite, he was definitely alternative, um, quiet. And like, I imagine that he slouched when he walked. I can see him now. Yeah. Um, so he was in this college library and there was like a group of the popular cute girls over on a table having giggling as they tend to do. And he like went mad. He was like, they're talking about me. What the fuck are you saying? Oh about shit. Me? So again, got out his knife and threatened one of the girls with it threatening to stab her because he thought they were making fun of him. He then, one the girls went off and she told her dad. Her dad confronted him and he threatened him with the knife. Whoa! Um, so yeah, he was given two year sentence in prison for that because he didn't actually do anything. It's like a film I watched last night. A Luke, literally I turn it on, five minutes in, Luke's out like a light. And I was like, I guess I'm watching this film on my own. And I can't remember what it was called, but it was so shit. It was basically, um, like, these girls were, like, on their phones, like, oh, my God, social media. And then the premise of the film is social media makes people crazy because they just wanted to, like, murder each other a lot. 
they were all rich annoying bitches and I wanted them all to die the whole time and then of course it was a film and then I looked at loads of reviews and everyone was like yeah the audience really wants the children to die because they're so annoying bitches I have to look at the name of it it was so terrible I mean that is bad if you're just wanting kids dead because they're pure nasty to each other so horrid they're like you're a fat pig to this one girl why don't you just kill yourself Oh. I was like, oh, these girls are... Well, like, if someone's got to die, well, they should be yeah. there. Um, so, yeah, so for this um, threatening, he was given a two-year sentence in actual prison. Um, but while he was in prison, he started studying... I think you're going to find a lot of parallels with yourself. Oh, this. shit. He started studying for a psychology degree. And then dropped out. and Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> he was particularly interested in the psychology of infamous killers, like he oh that's what everyone every kid now wants to study in particular he became really in awe of the yorkshire ripper peter sutcliffe um and he just devoured books on the subject he just loved all of them like pretty much how a lot of true crime fans start he was there he was there for dharma he was there for albert fish he was there for Mm. peter but peter sutcliffe was a bit of a local hero for him yeah um and he just was obsessed with them um, he was diagnosed around this sort of time with, well, this again, there's lots of different um, accounts. One um, place got his diagnosis as psychopathic schizoid obsessive. Um, Sounds like a load of like, yeah, here's a weirdo word pushed together like, okay. Yeah. Um, but he definitely had, was prescribed medication, um, but it's thought that he never really got into taking it, wasn't down for that. So 1996 was a big year for Griffiths. He was released. He enrolled on a PhD course at Bradford University where he was going to devote himself fully to working on his passion, which was a thesis about murder in an industrialized city. Um, He was looking at comparing historic murders to modern murders and just researching murders all of the time. That's all he wanted to do. Um, and he also moved into a flat in a converted mill called Homefield Court, which was an area um, well frequented by sex workers and an area where Peter Sutcliffe was definitely known to have been around in Bradford. So I think he'd chosen that on purpose. He was he wanted to be someone who was on par with his hero, Peter Sutcliffe, and he was starting to sort of follow his in his footsteps yeah so for the first few years it seems that griffiths had no interest in the sex workers particularly for himself um he was definitely considered rather odd as i said he dressed in that way the whole time like he was in the matrix and he also um was known for like local people as the lizard guy oh um, god because he had pet because oh, he had a lizard he had a couple of pet lizards but he would go out walking them with like little harnesses and leads yeah that would draw attention to you wouldn't it yeah and he didn't speak to people they just often so they'd just be like oh there he is again with his lizards taking him for a walk <laughs> um but he did actually go out and make friends at university and stuff. And there are documentaries where there's interviews with people who met him out in the clubs and went to university with him and sort of knew him. Um, And he did also have long-term relationships in this period in the 90s. So one of his girlfriends um, was called Zeta Pinder. 
And she said that she dated him for two years, but all the time she thought that he was living with his parents. <laughs> so she and never went around. I guess she well, wouldn't if he lives with his parents. Yeah, she just. I just think she. I don't think they could have been that serious for two years because she just sort of never. Eventually, it came up anyway. Yeah, and it wasn't a huge argument. It was just like, oh shit, yeah, I'll come see it. Um, so he took her round, and. When she was there, she was said that his living room was absolutely frightening. There was so it was like a maze, of like as she describes it, with tanks and books and things. So there was tanks for various lizards. Then there were huge amounts of rats. I think oh. dead. I, it's a bit. I think dead that he would use to feed the lizards. I bet they were live then, because like live I food's a so. thing, isn't it? I think he just kept. I think it doesn't say specifically, so I thought they would be alive. Um, and then he had loads and loads of bookshelves and books piled up everywhere, all true crime books. Yeah. Like, which of course we do have. I know, yeah, but oh, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that sounds quite normal. Like, so, so already I'm think, looking around my living room being like, okay, hamster cage, lots <laughs> of things, big bookshelves with true crime. There's a rat that lives in my garden. I had a rat in my house once, like similarities he also did um had again which a lot of people we know this guy and um, i think i dated him at one point where when i was like 13 he reminds me of johnny oh bit. my god johnny he had samurai swords yeah. and like other replica swords he had axes he had a crossbow and they're just like laid around his living room like everything's just out on display mm. and then but the weird bit though that makes it very much more psychopathy is that everything was covered in plastic oh god like the sofa's covered in plastic oh no like they used to keep like the good sofa in the little plastic wrap yeah there's there's no excuse for that um and on his wall he had like pictures and cuttings and stuff of the serial killers that he liked best it was basically just a shrine to true crime um and again that was his thesis so there was nothing like these like looking back yeah, it's now not like there's like a severed head in the fridge you're like oh, yeah weird but i mean like looking back now you can be like oh my god you should have known that he was crazy these are obvious red flags but lots of people are into this stuff yeah. and it just that's how it stays just like a weird morbid curiosity um, i imagine like if she's dating this guy who wears long leather coats and has got really long hair she's probably a bit alternative herself yeah right um, but that was too much for her, the living room, when she saw his flat. So she just said that she was feeling ill, actually. I need to leave. So she got out of there and then called him up the next day and just ended oh, it. Oh, did she? Oh. It was way too much for like her. And I think it was. The fact that he hid in it as well. Yeah. And then revealed this house where everything was just dedicated to murder. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, but up until that point, she said that really the only thing that was weird was that when they would watch horror films, which was most of the time, see, it's very you, when they watch <laughs> horror films, that he would laugh at all the worst bits. Yeah, no, I don't laugh. Um, I've got my head behind my hands. Yeah, that's all that he said that just... Yeah, that's... Everything. Yeah. Um, that is strange. Other girlfriends had a very different experience with him, though. Um, there was a girl called Kathy Hancocks, and she dated Griffiths. And she described him as being extremely abusive. Um, she said that he would be really quiet and introverted and then he would just flip and he would hit her. He had stabbed her. And one time, Kathy was hospitalized 
um, because he'd poisoned her tea. Shit. Um, so she was only alerted to the fact that something was wrong because Griffiths was just uncontrollably laughing in her face. Oh my and she god! Was like, and she was like, "What is wrong with you? Why are you laughing?" And I'm just like, enjoying this lovely cup of tea. Exactly. And he just was laughing, laughing, laughing. And she demanded to know why are you not going to stop laughing? And he just said to her, "Because you're dying." Oh <gasps> fuck! Like he's that's next level. He's the worst. He's the I mean, worst. they eventually split up. And there's another huge long history of even up to the time when he was eventually captured where he was still obsessed with Kathy and would like intermittently like but I'm sure. ring her up and he, like leave yeah. messages where he's just laughing down the phone at her. Fuck. But the Yorkshire Ripper, didn't he famously, he had a wife who had no idea, didn't he? Like he was never abusive. There's a lot of, a lot of like serial killers and murderers who have like their wife has no idea like they've got a normal relationship they're not abusive in any way but he was violent towards sex workers whereas um this guy just seems to be taking like the fact he's in a relationship as an opportunity to like inflict violence on someone else well i think his illness definitely made him go through periods and it wasn't until later that i mean he was always really liked peter sutcliffe and but he loved this sounds weird to say but he liked a lot of serial killers as well so it was only later when he really became like this is what i'm gonna do yeah Um, so he split with her and then he started to become more and more isolated from society and other people um he began to take drugs and the friends that he had at uni ended up all breaking ties with him they would have huge arguments he was changing basically yeah um possibly not taking his medication and various things but he was definitely on drugs i mean one of his friends that he knew, uh, he knew when he was at uni was like he would have to take he was on stuff to get him up in the morning he'd be taking drugs to help him sleep at night he was just all over the place so it was in 2001 when Stephen Griffiths began to socialise almost exclusively with the sex workers who worked on the street outside of his flat. Um, he was, they described him as being like a big brother figure. So sometimes he would sleep with them. Sometimes he would just have people over and they'd take drugs together um, or he'd like off to share drugs with them. He might give someone a bed for the night. He would loan girls money if they needed them. He was generally just like yeah, like a, a friend to them, pretty much. Like they said, a big brother. Yeah. Um, but he was get. I think he was getting to know them. Yeah, he's taking opportunities. So he also spent a lot of time online. As you can imagine at this period in oh his yeah because he's like internet i'm used to your stories being like they were in the horse and cart yeah. <laughs> um so he spent a lot of time because obviously his job is to just do his phd research and he's online almost all the time and he spent a lot of time curating his myspace page <laughs> and he posted under the name then pariah i don't know so I mean, obviously, Pariah is an outcast. Yeah. And that's how he saw himself as different from society. Um, and like I said, again, definitely, when you the things that were on his profile seem like he's obviously a, a crazed person, but they're just like things that you're into. His favorite film was Clockwork Orange. I like Clockwork Orange. All listed on these are just 
various things listed on his profiles. One of his favorite bands was Nirvana. I loved Nirvana. Um, he would post short biographies of different serial killers and post I pictures of them. Basically, know about what we do um, here. Um, he did have the weirder. There were weirder parts. Like he posted a picture of one of his crossbows with the caption "Crossbow is family." Yeah, that's you know. definitely weirder. Weirder. Um, and then he had like shirt. He was quite vain as well. He had like topless pictures and <laughs> headshots, and um, he posted quotes from Reservoir Dogs that the Ezekiel quote um, from that film. I oh, know from Pulp Fiction. I think. Yeah. Um, and then I'm just going to read you his bio that he had on there. I so. remember the name of that weird film I watched last night. And I should have known. I did know when I started watching it. It's called Hashtag Horror. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's you your know own fault. Yeah. <laughs> so in his MySpace profile, he said, oh, he's got a really, he's got a really soft, like, York, it sounds just like my uncle. I'm just trying to think, oh, physically. Physically, <laughs> I take care of my body and face, especially the latter, which refute like, he wasn't like, oh, sorry. He was, like, really dark and serious, but his voice in interviews, when you hear him, he's just like, oh, I don't know. I just sort of <laughs> killed them. To- oh, yeah, so, physically, I take care of my body and face, especially the latter, which refuses to look any older than a 25-year-old's. Maybe I have a Dorian Gray portrait hidden away. My occupation involves homicide research, which demands a lot of discipline and emotional detachment. Hardly laugh a minute work either. Hence, it's important for me to relax slash unwind at other times. Although I'm an extremely tough, assertive individual, I'm not the overbearing type. I mean, he sounds quite um, insightful about himself a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't read it. I probably wouldn't check back. Yeah, but it's not like it's not like he's just like caps lock. Everybody needs to die. Or needs to die. Oh no, no, no! He was just like he just loved himself, yeah. and he was just like he was just researching everything. He knew he had said when he was younger that he wanted to be an infamous killer, and that's what he wanted to be known for. And I think it seems, and other people have suggested that he was researching his PhD for to use yeah like oh if i'm so gonna he wasn't ready this, yet yeah. basically he was gonna do it he wasn't just gonna be like get caught now he, he was... wanted to be an academic killer exactly um so in 2009 the staff at homefield court were very wary of griffiths by this point um they'd had a panic button installed in the office after he'd made threats and the caretaker had been instructed not to challenge griffiths over oh, anything because they just perceived him to be really potentially violent so around this time then june 22nd of 2009 was when the first woman disappeared she was 43-year-old mother of two called Susan Rushworth. And she'd been from a loving family. And it was only when she became involved in drugs that her life began to spiral. So according to her brother, he says that she started smoking weed and then it had gone from there to eventually she was addicted to heroin. 
I'd thought weed was not a gateway drug. Well, that's why I said according to her brother, because he <laughs> said in an interview, he said she started smoking weed and then she wanted a bigger high. So she went onto this, which is what they used to tell you back in the day. Yeah. So it could be the case. Um, so she was eventually addicted to heroin, though, and she began selling herself on the streets of Bradford to make money for her habit. Um, but after this date in June, she was never seen again. On April 26th of 2010, a second woman called Shelley Armitage had also been reported missing. She turned to sex work um, to fund a heroin addiction also, and her boyfriend contacted the police when she hadn't been seen for two days. And then not long after this, on May 22nd, 2010, a third woman vanished with a very similar profile, um, Suzanne Blumiers, she'd been training to be a nurse and once again had just got caught because she has had quite a bright future but had just yeah. got caught up in drugs and again addicted to heroin that had left her with few options but to turn to sex work mm. so he's all of these women are very very similar they're the most vulnerable of the vulnerable yeah they're not just in sex work um as like a chosen profession they're in yeah. sex work because they are feeling habit, trapped yeah. because they've got a drug habit and be and because of this drug habit quite possibly they're much more it's much easier to entice them to come with him mm. because they're just they'll desperate. take bigger risks yeah. yes exactly he's known to be a bit of a weirdo but what if you're in withdrawal like mm. it just feels like you've got to get that money yeah anyway. um so investigations into the disappearance hadn't been too successful but with the third um, woman going missing, Suzanne, it was becoming apparent that there's quite possibly a serial killer at work and a major inquiry took place. But really, it was a breakthrough from um, Homefield Court that were able to break, uh, finish this case. So police were contacted by the caretaker at Homefield Court to say that their CCTV cameras had captured a murder. <gasps> So the footage showed Suzanne Blamiers running out of an apartment down the co corridor in the early hours of May 22nd. Fuck. She's then pursued by Stephen Griffiths, who tackles her to the ground. He takes up the crossbow he's ho he was holding. Oh my God. And proceeds to fire a bolt into her head at close Whoa, range. That's horrible. So he was like, like she was the prey. Like he was hunting yeah. her. Um, he then takes her by the legs and just drags her body back oh into his apartment. Oh, God, that's horrible. Um, and he knew he was being filmed. I mean, a lot of them say that the cameras were installed because of him. And he knew there were cameras there. He knew he was being filmed. And it appears he didn't care because he then returns into the shot, looks directly into the camera Whoa. and sticks his middle finger up. Have you seen the footage? I've seen, like, stills. At yeah, various points. It sounds like too much to I watch. Like maybe just don't the, want to watch this. I wouldn't mind seeing the screenshot of him in front of the camera. Yeah. I, I don't want to see the murder. That's just too much. No. Um, so then, so obviously the contact police, they saw this footage. So the police then went to visit Griffiths and he was like quite happy that his time had come oh he like God. you said before peter sutcliffe he's gonna fucking love this episode isn't it i know that <laughs> is a little bit of the thing is that 
I'm kind of doing exactly what he wants. Mm. But then a lot of people want this too. And I don't, I think he's regretting it now. Yeah. He's tried to kill himself like a bunch of times. Okay. Anyway, police went to visit him and he was loving it. He was joking around. When he answered the door to them, he was like, oh, it's me, Osama bin Laden. (laughs) What? Osama bin Laden would just get any kind of joke in the 2010. They all started like lolling. (laughs) I don't think so. Um, But he was, of course, immediately arrested and taken for interview. And police searched his flat and forensics found blood samples of all three missing women. And then inspection of his computer also showed images of Shelley Armitage tied up in the bath and spray paint on her back that read, my sex slave. Oh, God. Yeah, that's really psychopathic. He's super pissed. He's horrible. He's so, so horrible. So in custody, Griffiths confessed to killing all three women. And he also said he'd killed loads of others, but didn't give any details about them. So he is, police did try and link him to others, but yeah. uh, nothing mainly. Um, he was completely calm throughout. I mean, he had his like head down and drinking tea, but he was just very, like no emotion whatsoever. Um, and he was like, oh, I surprised no one noticed the smoke billowing from my flat when I was burning the de- evidence. Like he was just sort of like literally debriefing on yeah. the situation. Um, and he told police how after murdering his victims that he'd eaten them. Um, this is like quite widely disputed because as we know, it's quite difficult to eat people. It doesn't like sit well. Um, yeah. And also the fact that he was trying so desperately to be one of the big serial yeah, killers like trying to get some stuff in there that people might exactly. write an article about yeah because was we don't know that he was planning to get caught at the third person so i think he might have just been like okay well i best say some more things to really cement myself in like yeah. the hall of horrors um so then some remains of the victims were discovered around the same time that he was arrested um pieces of flesh and bone were found in a nearby river um though what was surprising to people at the time was the level of mutilation and dissection um it was so extreme that they actually found around 80 separate pieces um including the mutilated head of suzanne blumier um with the crossbow bolt still embedded in her skull i mean that's how they identified her because they said because he'd taken off the features. Oh my God. Basically. Um, so it seems that Griffiths had dismembered the bodies in such small pieces because he was carrying them out of the flat in his backpack. Um, one neighbor, um, she recalled seeing him leaving the building one day and was like, oh God, there's like a horrid smell around here. And he's just said that he had a dead lizard in his bag that he was ta- getting rid of. <laughs> So Griffiths went on trial in the December of 2010 and he was not remorseful in the slightest. He enjoyed the attention at first and initially stated his name on the stand um, as the crossbow cannibal. Which didn't catch on because it's taken us this long to even cover his story. So exactly, there's no way he's one of the most notorious. No. Um, He was sentenced to three concurrent life sentences, um, but with a whole life 
stipulation so he has no chance of parole um he was obviously psychologically assessed and although he does obviously have a diagnosis of being psychopathic etc and psychotic sorry um he was they did say well he knew what he was doing he yeah. was very clearly choosing to do this yeah. um it wasn't the insects in his brain saying whatever and so he was sent to a regular prison but he was not happy he wanted to be in rampton psychiatric psychiatric hospital yeah. um so as i said he did attempt suicide on a couple of occasions he even went on hunger strikes he was trying to be moved to a psychiatric hospital um and he's still not doing too well. As in January of this year, another inmate stabbed him in the chest with a self-made wooden spear, just narrowly missing his heart. Fuck. So he's still alive, I think. He's obviously not getting on well with them. Like, people in prison are disgusted by him even. So Yeah, I think quite rightly. So, yeah, I did. I was going to say, he wanted us to tell his story. I have. It's a little bit awkward. Yeah, but, but it's not like episode one, is it? Yeah, it wasn't at the top of the list. Yeah, you're like number 60 something on my list. Okay, deal yeah. with it. <laughs> and that's only because we do UK as well. So if we were in America, you'd be like way down there. <laughs> yeah. Done. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.